Welcome to the Spirituality for Normal People podcast. Of course, there aren't really any normal people, but every person has a spirituality, whether plumbers or politicians, firefighters or farmers, entrepreneurs or entertainers. I'm Matthew Bruff, pastor and author, bringing you tips, guidance, and practical advice for how to live out and keep the life in your relationship with God. You can find show notes, books, and more at spiritualityfornormalpeople.com. This is episode 26 of the Spirituality for Normal People podcast. I'm thrilled that you're listening today. I have a great interview with S.D. Smith, uh, who is the author of The Green Ember and Ember Falls, and is also co-founder of a website called Story Warren. And you're just going to love this interview. Uh, Sam, as that's his, that's the S in S.D. Smith. Sam is, uh, ah, he's just fantastic. He's great to talk to. He's a wonderful author. Uh, the Green Ember books, the, the two books that I mentioned are for, well, really for families, I would say. It's for kids, but really kids of all ages, uh, including kids who are my age and older, grownups. Uh, so it's, it's just, it's great interview. We're going to talk, we talk a lot about, um, an idea of fostering holy imagination and what that is and what it means to use our imagination in our anticipating the kingdom of God. So it's, it's beautiful language way of talking about who we are as Christians. And, um, that comes through in his books in a wonderful, wonderful way, um, so I know you're going to enjoy that. I also wanted to say, like, I'm thrilled. Like, I'm at episode 26. And when I started this uh, kind of experiment for me of starting a podcast, I, I said to my wife that I'm going to try uh, somewhere between 12 and 16 episodes and just try uh, and see where it goes. And that quickly became, I think this just needs to go out every week. And here we are at episode 26. And I had a couple of bonus episodes as well. But uh, this episode kind of marks six months of doing the podcast. I started in April and it's now end of September. Uh, so yeah, I've been, been doing this for 26 weeks at least. So it's uh, really great to get to this point. And I've got some great episodes coming up where I've already done some of the interviews. These interviews are all pre-recorded. Uh, so uh, it allows me to do these intros and let you know kind of what uh, what is coming up in the in the episode. Um, but yeah, I can't believe I'm at episode 26. So I'll probably stop talking about that and uh, remind you that if you are a regular listener and you've been listening for a while, I would love it if you were able to review it on iTunes. And the best way to do that actually is probably in the iTunes uh, store using your computer. I find it harder on the phone to do. So just go and open iTunes on your computer and then just in the search, just type in spirituality for normal people, and you'll see a little tab there for ratings and reviews. And there are some. There's more in the Canadian one than there is in the U.S. one. And I know there are lots of U.S. listeners out there. So I would love it. That's a great way to give me feedback. And it also helps make the podcast a little more visible for other people who might be trying to find it. So if you think there's helpful stuff here, go and leave a review. And, uh, and I recommend it to your friends, too. Uh, that would just mean a lot. You can also support the podcast by uh, giving a donation to it on a website called Patreon. And the easiest way to do that is probably just go to my website. Go to spiritualityfornormalpeople.com 
and click on any of the most recent episodes. So this one would be spiritualityfornormalpeople.com slash Sam, S-A-M. And, uh, and then there'll be a link somewhere on those show notes that'll just say support this podcast. And you can just click on that. And uh, a few people have given some financial contributions. And I'm so thankful for that because that really does uh, show incredible support. But also it helps pay for the podcast hosting and uh, me saving up for better podcasting equipment than the borrowed equipment that I've used so far. Uh, yeah, so that would that would mean a ton. Um, I did also want to today, before I get into the interview, just say something about the title of the podcast, uh, Spirituality for Normal People. And I tell people in brackets, in brackets, there's not that anyone is normal, because no one is really normal, right? Like, what, what is that? And I, I had heard a couple of people kind of maybe accidentally called the podcast Spirituality for Ordinary People. And I thought, oh, maybe I should have named it that. I think Spirituality for Normal People is maybe slightly catchier. And I know there's a Bible for Normal People podcast uh, and book that, uh, um, that Pete Enns has out there, which is also really great. And you should go listen to, to that podcast. Um, yeah, and I think maybe it's catchier than ordinary people, but maybe ordinary people captures a little bit better what I'm trying to do and what I'm about on on this podcast. Uh, because for me, I never really responded well to the word spirituality. I've I, I've always been in the church and been a Christian. I uh, was baptized as a baby and just raised in the life of the church. Uh, and I'm always. I was never really kind of this seeker, spiritually kind of searching person. Uh, I like to, you know, get things done. And when I was younger, I was in science and in computer science and liked, you know, order and process. And yes, I'm a Presbyterian, so we like order and process. Uh, But I was never really, like, I always saw spirituality as this sort of out there thing um, that... Uh, Oprah talked about, frankly, uh, something that was sort of airy-fairy up in the sky. And it's taken me a really long time, even being a pastor for a number of years, almost 15 years now, uh, it's taken me a number of years to realize that spirituality is actually kind of kind of at the core of who we are, and it's really grounded. Like, it's not this up-in-the-sky kind of thing. And as you read people who've who've written on spirituality, like, um, you know, I would I would read some of uh, Henry Nouwen um, and, uh, and realize, oh, he's talking about really grounded things. Like, even when you go and read, like, the Desert Fathers and um, you go and read uh, people who have are in the tradition of spirituality in the Christian tradition, they're talking about really kind of earthy stuff. It's not this airy-fairy stuff. And I think maybe I got that idea really from popular culture and the idea that spirituality is this sort of disconnected thing that maybe we're going to reach a higher plane or something like that. And the more I looked into it, the more I realized, oh, doing something like walking a pilgrimage or walking a labyrinth, getting our bodies involved in it. uh, That's not an airy fairy thing. That's actually something that grounds us or being outside and enjoying nature. It's kind of connecting us to who we were created to be. 
And it's hard because the more you talk about this stuff, I find like when I talk about it, I hear myself saying these words and I'm kind of thinking it sounds sort of airy-fairy. I'm using that word a lot, uh, that term a lot. Um, But I think when you participate in it and you give it a chance, it really isn't. Um, I've found ways of connecting to God that, uh, I don't know, just make me, I, I don't know, it's almost like being more human. And even saying those words, it sounds like the stuff that I used to react against. Like, I think this is one of the things is that we have this limitation of language to describe the divine and to describe God. And so I really encourage you, if you've struggled with spirituality or struggled with even the idea of it, to try, try some things out and to try, even if it's simple practices like reading the Bible or prayer. And uh, Sam mentions a few things in this interview and I'll, uh, we'll have some links that'll, that'll maybe help you out with a couple of books and, and some of the things that he mentions um, you know, try a few things out if you're hesitant and just take a moment to see if you do sense something, if you do sense that, that, that God is present with you in in a way that you maybe didn't sense before, um, because that's really what I found. And, and so the more I talk about this, the more I realize that it's actually hard to talk about without maybe sounding a little strange. Uh, and, uh, uh, so I'm going to keep talking. This podcast is going to keep coming out. Um, but really the point of it is for you uh, to actually put some of these things into practice. So I hope that you are taking things out of these episodes and and trying to um, let them have some impact on you so that you can try some of this stuff out. And these are great reminders for me as well, because the more people I talk to, um, the more ideas there are and Uh, it's a reminder that, you know, I'm not going to do everything the same way that other people are doing them, but I'm going to find my own ways. And there are for sure times, one of the biggest things that I'm learning is uh, that there are for sure times where I need to have grace with myself and with the way our family does spirituality, because we'll go through stretches where, oh, right, we haven't been praying or, um, you know, we've missed our, our regular routine of reading the Bible uh, before a meal. And uh, rather than feeling bad about that, just realizing that I have this opportunity to um, to bring those things back in again and, uh, and, um, and, and, and we each have those opportunities. So I hope that these uh, podcasts are helpful for you in that. Now, I've kind of rambled a whole bunch here, and you're really wanting to listen to... Uh, not me rambling, but uh, Sam Smith, S.D. Smith, uh, talking in a much less rambly kind of way. So here is the interview uh, with S.D. Smith. Today I have S.D. Smith on the podcast, or Sam Smith. I'm going to call you Sam, I think, because S.D. will be weird for the podcast, I think. Let's keep it at S.D., I think. All right. I would right. I want you to be as uncomfortable as possible. Perfect, perfect. That'll that'll help the listeners. Uh thanks so much for being on today. I really appreciate you coming on. I am grateful to be here. Thank yeah, so Sam SD uh is an author, primarily is how I know him, and uh writes books for kids, um, has written uh a few things. Uh one is the Green Ember, which is how I found him as I read that book with uh, my daughter 
Well, first I listened to it as an audiobook myself, and then and then afterwards loved it so much I had to read it to my daughter. And there's uh, a prequel and a sequel and another one coming out sometime in the future. Uh, but I just loved The Green Ember, uh, and I loved its connections to sort of these subtle connections to the Kingdom of God, at least how I was reading it. Um, and so I'm just thrilled to have you on as, uh, I guess, a fellow author, but also I'm kind of a fan of the work, too. And we'll throw another F, F word in there, and that is friend. Right? Yeah, sure. Uh, fellow author, fan, I guess, if you want to use that one. But then friend, yeah. So we, we've we've talked before, and, and um, yeah, it's cool. It's nice to talk to another a fellow author who's also writing kind of fantasy for kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you, I know I was kind of reading your bio, um, which I don't know that I'd actually read before, um, but I found uh, kind of buried down there in the bio, uh, talking about Story Warren, which we can talk about a bit too, um, which is a site for parents. And uh, the quote is, others dedicated to helping foster holy imagination in children. And it said he, talking about you, is passionate about kindling imagination for kingdom anticipation. And I thought, wow. Like, that's a mouthful of words, and I really want to ask you what you think that means. Um, what does kindling imagination for kingdom anticipation mean? And uh, if you're passionate about that, then how do you do that? Hmm. Well, that is, I feel like that's, I feel like that's at my, at the heart of what I'm doing in my life. So I, I, you probably understand this, but I, I don't set about writing a story and think, like how can I jam in my values or that kind of thing into it? It's it is like like um, Tolkien talked about stories bubbling up from the the leaf mold of, of the mind that they that they come up and, and it's from all the stuff that's fallen in the forest of our lives, all the things the the the, the rotten banana that the camper left and the you know just everything it bubbles up and so I think that the the thing that I want to bubble up in my life, the thing I want my life to be about is the kingdom of God. That's just as a man, just as a person. And it's how I want my family to be. And it's how, where I want my heart. And I, I feel like when Jesus told his disciples, answered their question about how to pray, you know, he said, this is, the, this then is how you should pray. And, and, he, and he, he says what we call the Lord's prayer. And um, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so I I think that was for most of my life, that that was a big kind of uh, an idea that I didn't, I think I didn't take it very seriously, partly probably because I'd always heard of, um, of, of spiritual or faithful people talking about heaven, about like, well, someday you'll die and you'll go to heaven. And so I didn't, I didn't think or didn't have very much of a, a robust idea about what the kingdom of God was. And so I think as, as uh, uh, hopefully I've grown in my faith and gotten older, I've, uh, I've kind of just, I feel like the kingdom is what it's about. I feel like that's what the Bible is about. And I love the Bible and I, um, I long for the kingdom to come. And it, I think the kingdom makes sense of all of our history and our future as the people of God, um, that that's what was the beginning project and with Adam's failure, set in motion, all these other kind of things. And then the second Adam coming, the kingdom is what it's about. The cross, I think, is the, sort of the high point of human history in a lot of ways, obviously, redemption. But, but I even think like we, everybody is, is all about redemption. And I get that. Like I'm all about redemption, too. But really, what, 
what was redemption about? Redemption was about the kingdom. It was about, you know, God being our God, us being in the family of God and, and um, Christ redeeming us for something. And that wasn't just to, to have been saved uh, from hell or to go to heaven. It was about the kingdom of God. And so I, so I think just as a disciple, as a, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, you know, as a man, I want to be someone who loves the kingdom of God and who longs for the kingdom of God and whose life is oriented towards the kingdom of God. So that's like a number one vocation, I would say, in my life. So then I've got all these other vocations. I've got, I'm a father, um, you know, I'm a husband, all these really, really important ones. So in my home life, like I want to be a I want to be someone who's 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 uh, helping my family be led towards anticipating the kingdom of God. So, if if um, I, I used to live in South Africa as a kid, my, my parents were missionaries, and my dad, he, um, I'm just as like a super rambling answer. Is that okay? Matt? Oh yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's awesome. Okay. Um, you've talked to Americans before, right? We just talk on and on, <laughs> very arrogant. Um, so so my dad, we we. We lived over there, and and we were there. We went there when apartheid. I t- I, my first birthday in South Africa was the day I turned thirteen in South Africa. My first birthday was the day Nelson Mandela was released from prison, mm-hmm. and when we left, he was the president. So we were a we were there at a very interesting time in that nation's history and in world history in a lot of ways. So anyway, there was this custom among the people there that. Um, uh, among like the white culture, which was a lot of just Afrikaners and English folks, the white tribes there that were just really great people, wonderful people. But there was this kind of awful practice that that um, any sort of native African folks, black folks, um, would refer to any white man as boss. You right. know, hey, boss, how you doing, boss? You know, to me, I was 13, I was 12, I was 14, uh, you know, and they would say, hey, boss, boss. Well, that was just a weird thing for me to, to hear. You know, I'm from the backwoods of West Virginia, and I thought that was very strange and disrespectful. Well, my dad, um, what did he do? He, he, when he, in his interactions with primarily Zulu folks where we lived, um, my dad would call any Zulu man he would talk to boss. Hmm. And he would just say, I'm doing fine, boss. How are you doing? And he would just turn it around. And, and so I went, I thought, and there were several other things like that, but, but I always thought my dad is living by a different set of ethics, like a different, um, sort of, rules and i thought he's living by an ethic of the kingdom of god where there where we're you know that god is made of one blood all the peoples of the earth and that that um every tribe and every nation is coming together and they have this unity in christ and that he was kind of turning this upside down world practice he was kind of turning it right side up whether or not the culture around was going to recognize that and that was a small thing people do that in much more dramatic um, dangerous ways, brave ways, but I love that. That meant something to me. And I think as I've gotten older, I've realized that that was, my dad was living out a kingdom ethic in outside of his context. He wasn't looking to his culture to say like, well, this is what you need to do. He wasn't, he was, he was living by, he was living in an anticipatory way. He was anticipating the kingdom of God. Hmm. And so I just feel like that's powerful. And I want to do that in my family life. I don't want to get my cues from, um, from bad practices in my culture or anti-kingdom practices in my culture. I want to anticipate the kingdom of God in all areas of my life as much as possible. And obviously I'm going to fail at that and do wrong things. I want to do that as a dad. So, so then I have this, this, like, as you mentioned earlier, I have this uh, vocation as a storyteller and I'm writing stories. And so I don't set about to say like, how can I wedge in the kingdom of God or anything like that? It's just, that's who I am. And so Hmm. there's going to be echoes of that. There's, that are, there's going to be, 
leaf mold, as Tolkien said, bubbling up into my story about the kingdom of God. And I think that, you know, the, the Green Ember was stories that I told my kids over years, but it didn't have that sort of that part about cloud, cloud mountain and the anticipation about their mended wood, which does sort of echo, right. I think, a, a lot of the kingdom of God. I didn't really like, I wasn't sitting about to like, well, how can I teach the kids about anticipating? That just came out. That was just there. And yeah. I hope it feels faithful and natural within the story. And it doesn't feel like any kind of, I don't, haven't met too many people who read that and think like that I was kind of preaching at them or anything like that. I don't know. For me, like it never felt, it, it doesn't feel contrived at all. Like, okay. Um, and I just about your dad's story. Cause I kind of think that's interesting is that like there's, I get, and, and you've talked a lot about the kind of the kingdom anticipation side of things. Like I, and we can talk, we could probably do the whole podcast about what that really is. Um, but your dad's way of approaching that, like what he didn't do is he didn't say to them, Hey, you really shouldn't call me that. So now I'm going to like what, what he did was that was more kindling imagination for kingdom anticipation. Like that was an imaginative way he maybe wasn't thinking about it that way. He, he just based on his ethic, but it was done in a different kind of way than what we would normally think about. Right. Like we would normally, we being like the church would normally say, no, 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 we don't, we don't believe that anymore. So now you should change what you think. Hmm. Your dad didn't approach it that way. He approached it with just, he's going to turn things around and live out of a different ethic. And it, and that is, I think what captures imagination or the same way stories do. He's sort of telling a different story just through that action. I kind of like that. that. Is that's thank you for 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 yeah getting that. that that's exactly right. And uh, and I think that that's you're hitting the nail on the head. And what we would usually do is say, oh, this is a problem in our culture, so let's do a ten part series yeah, and, and and lecture about it and, and right. let's, let's let's tell the truth about it, which is a pretty good step. <laughs> sure. You know, that's that's there's nothing wrong with that. So, but but I think you're exactly right that the old the old um, triad of Christian virtues of truth, beauty, and goodness. Of, I think you're right that it wasn't just enough to just say the truth about that. No, that is wrong. But he had kind of a beautiful approach to it. He had a, um, an imaginative approach, just as you said. And I would be very surprised if he thought about it in those terms. Um, but it, you're right. That's exactly what it was. It was a goodness. Um, and I think it, it, that's a, and I think we need them all. We need all those things. So yeah, the kindling imagination part, I think is, profoundly important and very very powerful that that side of the equation the kindling imagination i think that's in my background i think that's been overlooked a lot um it would have been more of a truth Mm -hmm. centered and big t truth you know little whatever other letter anything else was happening and and i'm a big truth person i love i love like i said before i love the bible i think it's 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 uh, compelling and authoritative and I, i i wouldn't say anything against um, the power authority of the Bible. I think it's, it, right. I love the Bible. I am compelling, but what is Bible full of? It's full of stories. Exactly. <laughs> full of, um, and it's in it's, and stories that often precede. I have a friend named Diana Herrer, and she talked about how the, the, the children of Israel got um, a narrative before they got the law that they, I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. So there, there's this identity. You are the people of the God who, who defeated this, the biggest military and um, biggest civilization in, on the planet. This God overcame that um, civilization and delivered his people. And that's their identity as, as his people. And then they got the law. So, and then I think that's similar with, with even the gospels in the New Testament. You know, we, get, we get Jesus 
and then mm-hmm. so we have this narrative is, which is which is not the big narrative for christians is, is the resurrection i think we cross the resurrection as compared to the deliverance from egypt but it's still the same you know, we have this big story and so the the, the all the do's and don'ts which do exist and are real mm-hmm. uh and jesus is not joking around he has a lot of very serious things to say um but they're, they're informed yeah by, by the story and it, and it makes sense and you, you can say jesus is powerful but that is completely meaningless unless you have unless you have a story and feeding the five thousand, walking on the water, healing Jairus's daughter, like that all makes that mean that's what it means to be powerful. And so, you, and when you get the story, you get the truth, and um, you get all the power that comes in the story as well. So you get the information, but the information's never doesn't feel like it's ever enough. Yeah, yeah. This this past Sunday, I just did a, a sermon on Matthew thirteen and just talked about a whole bunch of the parables there. Usually we'll take, and I've done this, we we'll take one little parable and kind of focus on that. We talked about what is Jesus doing across all of them. And Matthew 13, he's, it's parables of, about the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And um, we could just say, you know, the kingdom of God is, is about, and it's what everyone believed in Jesus' time, is about one day God is going to establish you know, uh, righteous rule on earth and, you know, the, the enemies, there's going to be, they'll, they'll be thrown into like a fire, you know, let's get rid of them. And the righteous are going to shine like the sun and everything's going to be wonderful. And Jesus says that right in the midst of all those parables. But if that's all there is to it, you know, and that's maybe just the heaven and hell picture. If that's all there is to it, then why did Jesus tell stories about it? Like, why did Jesus have parables? And so we started exploring, well, what's the wealth of meaning that might might be here when Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom. And so we get a verse where it says, you know, whenever he talked about this, he always used parables. He always used stories. If it was as simple as just, here's what happens at, at the end. Here's the sorting out. If that's all it was, he wouldn't have needed, needed those parables, those stories to kind of convey what is a much broader meaning, I think. Mm. Um, so it's kind of a fun thing to explore that. It's kind of neat that we're talking this week about kingdom anticipation when I was just studying it last week. That's fun. Love the way the Holy Spirit works. Yeah. That's uh, powerful. That was really powerful. And yeah, I, can, can I just say that, yeah. can I just add just one thing? And that is that I feel like the imagination is, a, I don't know, maybe you're going on to this, but the, the imagination is a capacity like the intellect or like other things. So I feel like we all have, and I think people say like, well, kids have a lot of imagination or something. They mean that they like believe things that aren't true. But imagination is so much more than that. Imagination is, is, is I think, in, again, in the case of anticipating the kingdom of God, it's seeing something that is true that you can't, that being, or, or believing, anticipating something that is very true, um, ultimately true, but you can't see it. And so it's this, I think that everyone has an imaginative capacity. And so, and so I think you can do things to make that stronger, which one thing those things is, uh, reading stories or telling stories and enjoying stories but it's i feel like uh, c.s lewis talked about imagination is a, is a capacity that will it will serve any master he didn't use those exact words but it's like the intellect you know there's no just having a great imagination i mean you know most people's problems with most sin uh, start maybe even end in the imagination so the imagination is a is a wonderful capacity but it's not just all the time morally good you know just just like the intellect you know hitler might have been very imaginative or or uh, intellectual or whatever but that does, doesn't mean that the, what he used what he what he did with that was good and so i just that's why i used we use the caveat a lot at story warren as um of holy imagination just tr- 
trying to build a capacity for a, an imagination that is that is informed by like a love of and a longing for the kingdom of God. Yeah. So how did uh, the end of that, that quote, which I didn't really get to was um, uh, you're also passionate about how stories and play can train us for a richer faith and more intentional lives, which is kind of what we're talking about. Mm. But I don't know if you want to say more about that or maybe how can stories really do that? Or how do your stories do that? You know, it's, you probably can relate to this, but it's hard for me to like dive into my stories too much and think like I try not to almost sure. try to just let those go and, and not um, overanalyze. How have them. other people said your stories do that? <laughs> can we talk about somebody? Yeah. For, for yeah. me, I, I feel like the stories that I've enjoyed feeding, you know, they, they, um, they shape my affections, you know, in a way that, not, again, it's like we were talking about before, but you can say like, don't, uh, don't be uh, condescending or have like a white savior complex. If you happen to be a white person in the West, like thinking that you know everything and you're there to save everybody or something like you Mm -hmm. could say that, but if you read a story, you know, about where you're seeing someone do that, even if it's not a fiction story, which you have a lot of examples, just go on Facebook and you can see, uh, you know, (laughs) then you can like, but you can, but if you, if so, I'm just saying, if you can inhabit, uh, what, what you do in a story, especially with a strong point of view character, like you inhabit that person's life. And so you can experience their mistakes and you can say like, would I want to do that? And you can be inspired to good things and you can be, um, you can be warned uh, of like, Oh, I wouldn't, I would not want to make that choice. That's not a good choice. And so I, I feel like it takes you outside of yourself in a way it, it gets past again, as Lewis says, the, the watchful dragons of the intellect and it and it gets straight to your heart and it gets you right where you where you pick what you love and so i think stories are so powerful in that way and i think that's another it's another reason why like picking good stories for kids is is i don't think it's like the i think it's like the front line i don't think it's the you know a lot of churches will say you know there's somebody volunteering and maybe they're a new christian or they're immature or something that and they're like well let's just let's stick them with the youth let's stick them with the kids like because they don't know anything uh, and i'm like that always bothers me because i'm like no that's where you need to put your best you know you're not that you know everybody needs to be perfect but i just feel like we have such disrespect for for kids a lot of times by um saying that it doesn't matter i think that so i feel like what i think stories are really really powerful i think you know the, the i think that the it was something it was Chuck Colson who said that politics is downstream of culture. And I just feel like that if you're worried about an election, which, you know, we're all worried about elections at different times, um, then, you know, worry about the stories about 50 years before. And you, that, because that's what we, we act out um, the stories that we believe and that we love. And a lot of times we believe lies. And so so I, I just feel like, you know, by the time it comes around to the power of politics, it's too late because mm. the stories that we loved, um, really shaped us in these powerful, really, really powerful ways. So I think, so I kind of think the storytelling is, is, is in a lot of ways, the front line and storytelling for kids is the front line of, mm-hmm. of like the affections and the love. Yeah. And so, so I think powerful stories, a friend of mine said that, um, stories that are kind of rooted in the truth are not an escape from reality, but an escape into reality. 
And I feel like I want my stories to be an escape into reality. Mm, I want people to read them, even though they're about rabbits with swords and that kind of thing. I want them to read that and feel like that's the real world. Like that is what, that's what, that's how God made the world. And it, it harmonizes in this um, truthful and beautiful, I hope, way with, with the reality that God, um, uh, that, that, that is revealed like in, in God's world. That's what I want. I don't know. I just rambled a lot. Again. So you're Man. saying, you're saying you actually have rabbits in your backyard who have swords. That's what, that's <laughs> that, what you're saying, right? That's what I you. think I hear you saying. Thank you for listening yeah. so closely. That is, exactly, <laughs> that is exactly what I'm saying. West Virginia is a wonderful place. You ought, to, you ought to come here. It's great. So, I mean, earlier on, you mentioned um, the mended wood. That's kind of a theme in, uh, in the green ember. And um, and how that's connected to the to the kingdom, or maybe I, I'd like to hear. I it, some of this is just maybe me being an author as well. Just do you remember where where that where that came out when you were first? Like you said, it wasn't in the stories when you first told them to your children. They were just kind of stories about rabbits. And um, but then where where did that come from, or how did that? I know you said it kind of came bubbling up from just part of who you are, but. Do you remember kind of the moment? Was there a moment or was there a, a place that that came from? Yeah. Yeah, I do. That, that's the part that surprised me. You know how when you're, you're yeah. writing these stories and there's, a, you know, everybody's sort of either like a, an outliner or a, a discovery writer or a seat of the pants writer. And so the, the outliners are like architects, you know, they build this. Right very organized and they kind of fill it in and the, the seat of the pants people are like uh, gardeners and they're just kind of letting things grow and so everybody's some kind of mix of that and I'm, I'm because I told so many of these stories to my kids that was I had kind of a pretty good idea about where things were going like I knew the ending of the book mm-hmm. and I knew a lot about them but but that part really surprised me in a lot of ways but it, it grew out of the world just like people ask about characters I was just talking to somebody an hour ago just to, to, he was just talking about these all these characters and he was saying he was very complimentary um but i, I was just thinking like really because it, it doesn't feel like i did anything it just they just were there you know mm-hmm. the, and a lot of writers talk about sort of the literature or art as a found object you know it's like that it's right. it's like a um uh, that great prophet Stephen King wrote um, about. I've never, I, I read his book on writing, which was which was great, but I haven't read a lot of his other books. But yeah, that's uh, about it for me too. <laughs> not a big fan myself, but anyway, he, he this was really insightful. He talked about it as being this, you know, this almost like a like a dinosaur bones, like that you're you're finding something and you're kind of like an ar- archaeologist and you're just mm-hmm. uh, you're just dusting it off and digging and you're uncovering it. That's and that's I don't think that's te- necessarily technically true. Um, but it's but it feels true, and so anyway, when I'm writing the story. These characters are just coming, and they, they're coming like to supply the needs of the story. So the story is these rabbits are are, are um, on the run, and they are hiding, and they're living in this world that they're discovering. And I guess it was part of the just natural world building, but I wasn't ready for it. But it kind of just appeared. They were they the the situation in the world was such that there was a king that had died, and the the tyrant. I had sort of tyrants had sort of over, taken over the world, and these these two kids are kind of uncovering um, their own history associated with that and what happened in the world. And they and so I was just like, what would happen? They're they've got to get place. They've got to be involved here. Well, there's a community, and this community's in exile, and they're in hiding. And what would a community like that be like? And well, it would be a community that would hopefully it would be kind of longing for this restoration and for. Yeah 
or this renewal? And what would people like that be like? What would that culture be like? So I started to work backwards and just this, but it, I didn't, it wasn't really even, I was, I was kind of thinking about that, but it was more mm-hmm. like it was just, a, it just appeared and I was sort of like peeling back layers. Well, of course there would be this kind of a person. And, and how would they, t- how would they think about um, vocation and, and, and um, how, can we get these rabbits to be awakened to the, to sort of the wonder and, and to the, to the, to the idea of vocation? How can that happen? And, and it sounds like it was more like in the writing as well. Like you weren't necessarily sitting down one day and doing what you're right. doing now and planning it out. It's as you're writing, this is, exactly. Oh, right. This is the kind of thing this person would say or do because yeah, they're part of discovery. this. Right. And yeah, like I had a similar thing happen when I wrote the first Del Ryder book. I didn't have, there's a, a character named Blythe Thicket, and he is basically like the, you know, he's basically God or Jesus in the story. And there was, I, I planned out sort of where the story was going to go. And he wasn't in the plan. Like he wasn't in the story at all. And then suddenly he showed up in the story showed up oh yeah okay i guess that's like that's what god does is just (laughs) shows up in the story like so i kind of wondered about that with you is sort of like the original story is just sort of this these stories that you told or that you have and you kind of have a sense and then it's sort of and the kingdom of god then showed up you know um which is kind of cool uh to even think of that as that that it's 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 really coming in some ways from outside of ourselves um yeah and i find even though it is really from you right like you're, you're the one who wrote it um but i think of that even from other spiritual matters or from the way the kingdom works or the way god works there mm. clearly god is working outside of ourselves but also in us at the same time and mm. um and the kingdom is just i mean when we read when you read the green ember if anybody's kind of got the kingdom of god imagery in mind um like what i really liked is that i don't know and it doesn't sound like this was necessarily fully intentional on your part. Um, but it really got at the, you know, now and not yet aspect of the kingdom that yes, there's still something coming where one day everything's going to be put right the way it is. But, yeah. but there's, but there's glimpses right now of that. Yes. Um, and, and it's actually in some ways, in the green ember is some ways the mended wood is already kind of happening. Mm. Um, or it is there, but everyone knows that it's not, not fully there in some way. And that's, that's precisely what the kingdom is. Mm-hmm. So I, I really love that. I thought that was the, that, that's what I took out of the book really was, was this is what this book is about and just found it was really a story of hope as well. Um, which I really liked because there are some, I don't know. There's some books that there might not there's maybe not anything terribly wrong with them, but they're not, they're not super hopeful. And for me as a Christian, I'm looking for books that have a sense of reality, but, but are also tapping into the reality that like God is a God of hope and that, Mm. that it is all moving somewhere. Um, So yeah, anyway, I totally agree. I'm not really asking you anything, but (laughs) no, I'm with you on that. I feel the same way about like, that's, well, honestly, that's the reason why I haven't read much from Stephen King and some other folks. Cause, cause I'm like, if it's a uh, stories to sort of like bring you down and to, to fuel despair or that kind of thing, like I'm already there. <laughs> like I, I don't need any help with that. You know what I, I mean? As far as like naturally, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna struggle on that in that direction myself and mm-hmm. uh, everybody's like that. So I don't need any like help in that. I need hope. I'm exactly, I mean, like you, I need, I need the death star to blow up at the end. Um, even if Darth Vader's still out there, 
and you, you know it's it's an ongoing thing. Um, I need I need there to, I need something to be happening. And then of course there's going to be middle stories, which the second book uh, Ember Falls is a middle story, and it's and it's and it's it reads like a middle story. And I feel like like you said that's where we are. The already not yet, you know, part of that not yet is pretty pretty bad. <laughs> and uh, so that so stories like that are you know are necessary and real. And I think darkness in children's literature is is important. But I agree with you that if there's hope, you know there's life and there's light and I need it. And even if it's just a pinprick of light in the darkness, like I am going to that um, because I need it. And I want the kids that read my books to feel, to feel that. And I think what you said about the king, about the kingdom or the men of wood, whatever to, to, that there is, that there is hope and then there is work to do yeah. and, that, and that what you do matters. So like, I think that's another sort of like temptation of modernity is to despair which is like despair makes a lot of sense uh, logically. And again, intellectually, despair makes sense. It needs imagination to fuel hope, I think, does for me. And, and to realize that, well, my decisions, you know, even though this thing is working and, and I still, what I do still matters. My practices matter and my, uh, my, my culture and what I'm looking at matters uh, because, you know, uh, that a lot of people are saying, I think Jamie Smith's talked about, you know, what you see is what you, be- what you behold is what you become. And, you know, you are what you love, that kind of stuff. Okay. You are what you continually do. Aristotle said, excellence, therefore, is a habit. You know, what you, what you put in front of. So I just feel like it's important for me to know I've got, I've got to have, I need help, just like you. And hopeful stories are uh, the very best thing, I think, for me, as far as to, to fuel that anticipation. I don't know. You mentioned Star Wars, and uh, that's dangerous. Because uh, <laughs> then I just want to say, well, speaking of despair, what, what do you think of Rogue One? You know, <laughs> but, um, uh, no. You also mentioned practices as well, and and that's kind of what this podcast is about: is sort of what are spiritual practices, or some people have trouble with. I mean, I always used to have trouble with the word spirituality, but sort of what do you do either in your personal life or your family life, or even how maybe your writing connects to uh, to what do you do to connect with God, um, regularly, or how do you continue to, uh, in some ways fuel that sense of hope? Well, just in anticipation of coming on your podcast today, I started a lot of really good spiritual practices. <laughs> so I'm able to list, uh, I'll, I'll have a long list of things that I'm super spiritual about. Um, no, I'm, I feel like I'm like you, like I've been suspicious of the term spiritual, um, maybe partly as sort of that, like a reaction to that sort of like heaven and hell, like, which, which I still believe in, but I just mean like a, an emphasis on like, there's the world and then there's like spiritual reality, which is so like everything in the world doesn't matter. But this whole idea of like the kingdom coming and, the, and God's will be done, done, doing done on earth as it is in heaven is praying about like this place, you know, God coming to this place. And, and so I've, I've gotten a lot more connected. So I've connected spirituality with that sort of like an esoteric, like disinterest, like, well, you can leave trash on the ground, you know, in the woods, it's not a big deal because the whole world's going bad anyway. And, you know, I'm going to be in heaven or like, I think that kind of idea. Yeah. Like my negative reaction used to be more to more about, well, isn't that sort of new age? Yeah. Sort of like, we watch Oprah and we're spiritual. Yeah. I mean, maybe Oprah's great. Like I don't really watch Oprah, but, but that's sort of what yeah. I kind of always associated with 
spirituality was was this woo-woo up in the sky kind of mm-hmm. ethereal thing, but it wasn't really a real thing. Um, so I'm, I'm a lot more interested in now kind of talking about, well, what, I believe that God is active in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and I believe that we, you know, that, that prayer and scripture reading and those things are, are important. Um, so I guess that's, I mean, that's part of starting the podcast was just sort of realizing, oh, spirituality is not this, like it's it's really just what uh, it is real life, you know. That's uh, yeah for me. Well, that's the, that's the big. I think that's the big difference to me is like that that um, that that spiritual the word was challenging for me because I mm-hmm. increasingly be, became aware that people were, yeah were you were thinking of that in terms of escape like you know, even that quote right. I said earlier from a friend Heidi Johnson she talked about good stories being um, escape into reality not out of reality that like yeah. um, that. Um, uh that the incarnation was like was about god becoming sort of becoming coming here with us and like being a man and and having flesh and having pain and and like that that it's in this sort of almost like gnostic kind of um you know disassociation from the body and i just feel like uh, spirituality that is powerful to me is like in my bo- in my body like in my in my practice like what i do with my body and with right. my like family, like every day, like it's profoundly important that that the spirituality be incarnational, um, and and uh, it, so it's important to me. Like I, I grew up thinking that every spiritual practice needed to be like spontaneous and mm. um, to be sincere, and I think the a big shift for me over the um, over the years, particularly my adulthood, has been. Uh, kind of I feel like God wooing me in this direction of of um composition and prepos- uh, preparation associated with worship and spiritual practice as in instead of like you know I just needed to be sort of like amazingly spiritual all the time and on fire and like always in a conversation with God and like it's he's like my friend and where everything is I'm just, and I think that still happens. I mean, it's still, thank you, Lord, when, when something I'm just that, that, but, but this, that that there's, um, that for me, that there's been a lot more of a connection more recently to sort of, uh, composed prayers, prayers by other people, um, forms of worship, like, like the daily office, that kind of a thing, uh, routines, you know, all these things that used to scare me, rituals, like, uh, that I find that, um, that my spiritual life is not a place where I can suddenly become a different kind of human being than every human being has always been for the entirety of the world, the history of the world. Whereas like, if I want to be a good soccer player, like I have to go to practice and I have to go do my 500 toe touches a day and my foundations and I've got to do, go through it. And if I want to be a good basketball player, I've got to do layups. If I want to be a good writer, I've got to write every day and I've got to um, be takes editing seriously. And so I've got to be in these rich, even, even for my writing life now, I've got to like, I've got a ritual that I do with it. And, um, and so I just feel like for me, uh, ritual and um, routine and repetition, the three R's, I guess, uh, <laughs> have, have been probably the most important sort of like spiritual gateway far from being a barrier to um, a connection to God. It feels like to me, and I believe um, that, that that's been uh, like a, a gate, um, an open gate uh, for me. 
Okay, so where did that come about? I know you say you feel like God is wooing you. That just is that just in those spiritual moments where you're with God? He's just saying, "No, read this prayer that someone wrote." Or, no. <laughs> no, I just feel like he, he works yeah. the way he works in the world. You know that, that yeah. like uh, when a kid needs food, you know God loves children and He gives them food. And, you, mm-hmm. and usually it's not manna from heaven. Usually it's like a mom or dad making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or something. So Absolutely. it's people. It's you yeah. know it's been yeah. people. It's been friends and it's been books and it's um, been dead people and living people. Not in a weird like seance thing, but I mean like, read, reading books by <laughs> by people. Uh, Thomas Cranmer did not come to me in my uh, right. form. <laughs> so that's a totally different podcast. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I do love the Thomas Cranmer zombie podcast a lot. <laughs> yeah, but this is not that. No, uh, you don't have those kind of ratings. Um, <laughs> But no, so yeah, so that's so it's been, I can't, I can't thinking about how that happens, but I just, I, I can think of, you know, I had a friend, uh, met a friend when I right. came back from Africa who was um, sort of in a, in a church uh, system that I thought was appalling because it was so much more high church than what I was used to. And, and I was like, it was like a slow thing where I kind of over many years began to see the beauty of it. And then, mm-hmm. you know, and so I think that things like that have happened. God has brought along people in my life that have, that have um, changed, challenged my perceptions of spirituality as being something that had to be spontaneous all the time and mm-hmm. that to be authentic. And uh, I've just, I was part of just a maturing process, but I don't think you have time for, for that whole story, Matt. I'm, not, I'm sorry. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, has, do you think your, your writing and um, kind of that, do you think that's maybe uh, informed sort of a new approach to spirituality or sort of that changing approach is that i don't know maybe not um i would guess so and like i said i mean i don't i don't know you know there's that whole i know that people are like hung up on you know the the sacred sacred secular divide and Mm -hmm. i mean i've gone all over the place like oh there is no sacred secular divide and that's meaningless. Everything's sacred. Um, and I think that's kind of true in a lot of ways, but then I also think like, so I think my writing rituals are not, I think they are spiritual. They're informed by my love of God and um, more importantly, his love of me, I think uh, those routines, but, but I, that's not the same thing as, as, uh, as a devout spiritual practice, like, like fasting or praying <laughs> or, um, you know, so it's different. So I don't. There is some kind of a difference to me that that because I'm a I'm a I am a religious person though. I'm and I know a lot of people are hung up on I'm spiritual, not religious. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm religious. You know, I believe in I believe in Christianity. I think it's I think that it's it's that is the I think that's true and good and beautiful. And so I'm 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 a, I am a religious person. I'm, and I think that's been the thing. I've always been really reactionary to like, oh, religion is bad. I know a lot of people, even authors that I love talk about religion as if it's bad this horrible thing and i know what they mean they mean false religion or um um, self-righteous religion or whatever but but the fact is like jesus was a religious person and he he fasted and he he did he went he did rituals he did cultural rituals he went to weddings he changed wine uh, water into wine for a wedding it was a kind of a cultural thing he was a uh, he talked about giving to the poor he talked about doing these sort of religious things fasting So I just feel like that's a, I want to, I want to be a, an authentically um, 
faithfully humble, I hope, God help me, you know, religious person who is devout, who is, who is following Christ. Uh, Christ fasted, and I want to follow Christ, and uh, Christ feasted, I want to follow Christ, and Christ uh, prayed, and I want to follow Christ, and and he did things daily, and disciples, and he worshiped, and he taught, and so anyway, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't know if that, I don't think I answered your question. And no, but it, the reasons probably is because I can't remember what it was. Uh, whether your writing informs, oh. uh, it, but I, but I actually think your answer, whether it was on point or not, is actually better than the question. So uh, let's not worry about that. Um, I, I was just saying, like, if when you look at Jesus' life um, and sort of what he did, like, I think you're right about Jesus being religious. And I think that he, um, you know, fasted, prayed when the disciples asked him how to pray. You know, he didn't like a lot of people will take the Lord's Prayer and they'll say, oh, oh that's an outline. Well, yeah, okay. Jesus didn't say it was an outline. Um, Jesus just told them, pray this prayer. And then the church did adopt that as a prayer that we say every Sunday. And then sometime, I don't know when, maybe a hundred years ago or so, we started getting hung up about how well that's wrote. You know, that's not a good right. thing. Um, but for 1900 years, it was fine. Um, <laughs> There's a lot of so, things that were fine for, for quite a while. And, yeah. And, and then some of those things, you know, shouldn't be, are not fine. Like there's certainly things we did for 1900 years that were not good things. Um, but, but Jesus also told imaginative stories kind of coming back to that. And I wonder if, uh, you know, you saying that you have almost like a, a routine that you do in your writing and yet the writing you know, you're not writing the same book over and over again, right? Like, um, so I, I wonder if sort of that undergirding of routine and ritual, and this may be just applying to anyone, anyone who is, well, no matter what you're doing, like we're talking about writing a bunch, but no matter what you do in your life, having sort of that, uh, that support or that undergirding of sort of a religious kind of spirituality, something that is a regular pattern or a regular habit that you do, it doesn't mean that your life is just a drudgery, regular habit. Um, in fact, it might actually be work the other way. Like that ritual, that base kind of gives life or birth to mm. creativity, imagination, excitement. Yes. Um, and all of that. I wonder if there's something to all of that. I think that's so true. I mean, you think about the, think about everything that you love everything that you, everything that, um, that gives you life or what I'm just thinking about things that I love. And like, I love, uh, soccer or football. I love, yeah. I love, I love Liverpool. I love watching them. So they're the prop that we'll accept they, that <laughs> we'll accept <laughs> Liverpool. They're okay. <laughs> well, what they produce is the product of unbelievable amounts of repetition and routine. Mm. And, and it's, and, but what is it? It's gloriously creative. And so the same thing with music, you, you know, I love music. If you go to see some kind of big band like U2 or something, then like that's thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of hours of work that pours into these moments that become magical for yeah. a lot of people. And I, yeah, so I feel like that it's a, it's a routine. I mean, uh, having a routine of dating, you know, with your, with your spouse or whatever, that can lead to like magic, you know, this wonderful kind of stuff. And that can be like very spontaneous or alive, but, but it's like formed out of a routine of like, you know, I think that even, even some of the false storytelling narratives that we have are that like, 
everything you have to feel everything in the moment well anybody that's been married for very long knows that like you're, you wake up every day it's every day it's a new thing it's every well every day it's like it's the same thing in a lot of ways and you're the same right. person and you're and, you're, and there's, there's this routine and like if you don't embrace that then there's no <laughs> there's no life in that there's no right. the, the life comes out of the routine and yeah like i love taking i love taking vacations with my family or before juliet came along um, just with uh with cheryl and um but you know the day-to-day i love as well mm-hmm. and the and you know, when it came time to take, when it comes time to take a vacation, I wouldn't say, well, the people I want on vacation with me are the people that I'm in the routine with. Mm. Like, you know, like that's, um, and and the same, like in some ways, the same thing goes with church. Like most, most of church, even, even in churches where there is not really sort of formal liturgy, there's, there's pattern and regularity yeah. And, and community gets formed in that and those become the people or that becomes the place where when something extraordinary does happen, which is probably not every Sunday for everyone, it, it, it's form, you've been formed with those people that that extraordinary thing, that's, that's who you want to be bound to when, in that experience of what, what God might yeah. be doing. Um, so I really think there is something, something to that and, and sort of trusting as well. And I love your focus on, um, uh, the living and the dead, like the, uh, <laughs> um, that, that's the, the communion of saints. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. and so realizing that your community is actually broader than, um, than just your family or just your, just your local church. It's those that you read and yeah. it's those that have gone before us as well. And to be able to learn from them or pray prayers that they've uh, uh, written, um, I think is a, is a great thing. So yeah, you're you're, ta- you're talking about the, the the cloud of witnesses or the the saints that have gone before us, and I just feel like that's 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 been a very very important um, element in in sort of my own spiritual development is is receiving the is being able to receive that gift as an inheritance instead of as a burden. And of course, everything we receive from our ancestors, whether they're whether spiritually or um, physically is a, uh, you know, is, is, is complicated <laughs> uh, in a lot of ways and it can be a burden, but, for, but to receive this sort of the refining power, uh, the winnowing power of God's work through his people, through the ages has been a, 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 a powerful life-giving, um, gift to me. And I think about, uh, G.K. Chesterton, in his wonderful book, Orthodoxy, he talks about um, the importance of tradition. And he, talk, he describes tradition as the democracy of the dead, mm-hmm. as in giving votes to our ancestors. And I just feel like that's really, really powerful. And he said that the, the ancient Greeks voted with stones and we will vote with tombstones. And um, I just love that book. And he and others like C.S. Lewis and um, Thomas Cranmer and others have awakened me to the spiritual power, the active spiritual power of, of, the, of our inheritance as Christians. And mm. uh, very, very thankful for that. Yeah. I think um, like delving into 
even even some of our own tradition, like if you're part of a church that has a long tradition as well, um, or a denomination that has a long tradition. I mean, we, I think we can all borrow from one another. Yeah. But um, I know a number of years ago, uh, one of the things I started doing, not necessarily every Sunday, um, but started looking back at uh, prayers of confession that were in our denomination's worship book that was written, I think, in the 1950s or 1960s, just to sort of see what they had written. And I just found, like, prayers of confession are a feature of, like, Presbyterian mm-hmm. worship, always have been, and then it just sort of faded out. Like, I think people just, like, ah, oh, we don't want to admit we're sinners. Like, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's you know, like, do we really want to do that early on in the worship service? Everyone just got here. It's kind of a downer. Um, but what I thought is like, why don't, why don't we just dive deeper into that and really think about, well, why are we doing that? It's because, you know, we are sinners. And, and let's acknowledge that up front and receive grace. And then we can really enjoy worship. It's going to be great. Um, and so just realizing that some of those prayers that were written, the depth of language to describe our sin was was phenomenal like they really got it like they got that wow we've really messed up people you know and at the same time as there's um all kinds of writing in that period about our progress and how we're doing so fantastic as a human race yet there's these canadian presbyterians writing these prayers about you know what really no like we're like and and i and i kind of feel like today that speaks to us a lot more powerfully today where i think there is this uh, acknowledgement even in the world that yeah the world's a pretty messed up place we're pretty messed up people so let's acknowledge that before god and receive forgiveness or grace from it this book um the diary of private prayer has been so powerful and I, it's funny because we, we will often in the evenings we'll read one of these prayers and it's just it's like you're described it's an old scottish um pastor and he he just articulates and sometimes there's a lot of these and thous in it and that kind of thing and mm-hmm. i'll usually just change those a little bit update yeah. a little bit as i'm reading them but it is incredible and i'm feeling when i'm reading them to the family like we're all sort of saying it together as in our hearts but and i'm feeling like oh my goodness this guy is just telling it like it is he is just opening up to god right. and just confessing and he's his the way he named this so so deep and i'm just feeling like oh man this is really getting me and i'm then i'm kind of aware of my kids and i've got you know 13 year old 11 year old eight year old five year old and i'm looking out and i look over at them and i i remember this one night just making eye contact with my he was 10 and uh, he and he was just shaking his head and he was just like he said boy he just he really says how you feel doesn't he and uh, and I just I remember thinking, wow, yes. I mean, it really. I was surprised by how much. Yeah. I guess I had low expectations in, in some ways, but I was just surprised by how universal what he was talking about was, and yeah. how and how accessible it was for my kids yeah. to experience sort of that um, <laughs> that like exactly kind of what you're describing, the sort of confession, and it was um, rounded out with hope and and and, um, mm. and and geared towards like faith in Christ and. That's really powerful. That's really cool. Uh, Sam, we're going to have to wrap up, I think. And um, But before we do, uh, 
how are things going writing the third book while I have you recording? <laughs> um, it's going good. Uh, I am right now uh, writing kind of in the last chapters and, and um, getting close to the end. There's a lot of editing work ahead, but I'm, I'm enjoying it very much. And, uh, it's, it's, it's going well and it's, no one else has read it yet. I think it's, I think it's okay. Um, you know, I mean, you probably have this experience. So what happens at the of- end? <laughs> well what happens at the end is i always hate what i'm writing uh right yeah but I actually kind of like it right now so you know probably next week i'll I might hate it but um, i'm kind of right. excited by the fact that I'm, I'm enjoying it quite a bit i'm sure it's going to be great when it when it comes out thank you Matt. thanks for having me it. thanks for having me on your podcast oh no, thanks really for being here it. yeah i appreciate it i hope you found today's episode helpful Don't forget to check out the show notes at spiritualityfornormalpeople.com. There you can sign up to get the free short guide called Six Tips to Get Consistent in Connecting with God. And when you do that, you'll also get the latest updates and news from the blog, plus book announcements and anything else I may be working on. So head over to spiritualityfornormalpeople.com and sign up. Thanks for listening today and take care.